you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? It's this Peter Schrager. This is the season with Peter Schrager. I'm smiling because we're having a blast here on a rainy, rainy New York City day uh, here in Gotham. Got to go Taylor Swift and we got to discuss it. You could turn off the microphones. You can shut off the podcast. You could fast forward five minutes till our guest. That's fine. But I just have to address it because I have different takes than everyone else. And you got to hear from the authority, me. I got a tip Sunday morning that Swift might be at the game. I didn't do anything with that tip because what's the report? I go on uh, Fox NFL kickoff and I look into the camera right. with a serious face amidst <laughs> talking about CJ Gardner Johnson injury news that uh, Taylor Swift might be at a game. I kind of loved how it was revealed. Rich Russo is the lead director for Fox Sports and a good friend of mine, like an awesome dude, Jersey guy, uh, originally from Long Island, like a legend in the in the broadcast industry. This wasn't a big thing. It was just like, all right, game opens, and they shoot to the box, and there she is with Kelsey's mom, and it says, like, 12-time Grammy winner. Like, she had a stat. I'm like, all right. And then it was just pandemonium. And for me, who fancies himself a pop culture guy and likes to consider myself, like, in the know, and then for Kelsey, it's like, this is like... For the, for the NFL broadcaster who also enjoys, like, the Taylor Swift, like, pop culture world and where she's at in New York, like, this is the shaded part of the Venn diagram, baby. Like, this is, like, right in my wheelhouse. I come at this at a very, what's the word, Pollyanna view. I like it. I think every time I've seen Taylor Swift dating one of these guys, it's some brooding musician like you, Aaron, and it's like some <laughs> some British guy who's in an indie band, and she's and the guy's got disheveled hair, and he's like writing, like writing love songs about like misery or something. She's with the jock. She's with the jock. She's with she's with T Travis Kelsey, and I was a little skeptical the whole thing the whole time. I'm like. What's the play here because right, yeah. of the way it was unveiled? And is there is there a PR element? She's got a move. I'm like, what? A, here, I love young love. 
What if, after all her trials and tribulations, she fell in love with a guy who I have fallen in love with as a player and a personality in the NFL? Like, you can't not like Travis Kelsey. Right. He yeah. might be, you might think he's corny, you might think he's cheesy. He's a good dude. He's a champion. He's maybe the greatest tight end to ever play. Don't tell Gronk. And furthermore, he's like positive. He's likable. He's fun. Uh, this is a cool match to me. I like it. I'm not obsessing over it. I don't think it's worthy of that. But my favorite thing was what came out yesterday. So the Chiefs guys told me that they beefed up security a little bit. They got they, they got word that she was there and like they didn't want to crowd her, all this stuff. She came with her backup dancers. She had a couple of friends in there, and it was like a regular experience. But I don't know if you saw this, Aaron. There were hundreds of fans outside the suite. And they're waiting for Taylor Swift to leave the suite so that they can, you know, get a picture or take a photo. And she never left the suite. You never saw her. And yet later you'd see Jared Payton, who is Walter Payton's son and the 2004 Rose Bowl MVP. And he's got a video of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey leaving the stadium together. And then there's this amazing shot of them in a convertible, a Camaro that's just incredible. And they like drift off into the sunset. Like it's like, you know, the movie Grease or something. Right. But she never left that suite. Well, there's some next level stuff here. We've got friends who are Philly folks. And yesterday we spent some time with them. And our friend Dana is a hardcore Swifty and a hardcore Eagles fan. And she notified me of... When Taylor Swift leaves her concerts, they'll often put her in a custodial closet of sorts, and they'll wheel her out in a custodial closet. There'll be like a broom attached to the this giant structure, and then the fans don't see her. There is video of a giant metal box with a big bag of popcorn on top leaving the suite and being wheeled out of Arrowhead Stadium suite level. There is one video that's out there of a fan saying at the top of her lungs, oh my God, that's Taylor. Oh my God, that's her. They wheeled her out in a giant popcorn box. They put a giant metal box. She slid in like the movie The Prestige right. or, or like the Trojan Horse. Shout out to Homer. Uh, and they, they wheeled her out in a giant steel box with a popcorn bag over it so the fans wouldn't see it. This is why you listen to the season. You want to know what's really going on? I can't confirm it, but I think Taylor Swift crouched, put her six-foot body into a metal box. They dropped a bag of popcorn on top of that thing. They had two people wheel it out. They went down the elevator. She comes out of the box. Hello, cuckoo-cachoo. Here I am, peekaboo. She pops out. She sees Kelsey. They're not holding hands. They go off. Now, the next level to this, Kelsey wore a shirt called, I think, Bedroom Painting, was it? The makers of that outfit, which is honestly just a crazy outfit he was wearing, and I, I give him credit that he could pull it off, they changed the name of the outfit from Bedroom Painting to 1989 bedroom painting so that when anytime anyone searched it, you get the cloud of the Taylor Swift stuff to it. One more thing, Michael Rubin, the godfather of fanatics and the man who's actually running the world, he tweets out the numbers that Kelsey's jersey sales are up 400% and it's the number one selling jersey in the NFL and everybody is winning from this thing. Now, are they going to be doing this week? To now, Rob Highland is the producer of 
Sunday Night Football's game. It used to be Freddie Goodelli. He moved on from NBC. Rob Hyland's the guy now. I text with Rob here and there. I like their production. They do a nice job. I already hit him up on like Tuesday morning. I'm like, have you gotten word if Taylor Swift is going to be in the box at MetLife? He's like, I have not gotten word yet. We will monitor the situation. But Aaron, I come at it with a, I mean, I love my wife. We had a storybook romance. We were, we were meant for each other. These things are possible. Aaron, are you in on Swift and Kelsey? Or are you a pessimist, jaded, miserable New Yorker who is so <laughs> against everything and she should be with a poet? What's your thought? Uh, well, first of all, I, I just want to say how thankful I am that I get to work on a show where we can reference Christopher Nolan and Homer all <laughs> yeah. in the span of five minutes. Uh, oh, this I haven't is... even got to one other thing. We're going to hit another thing, but go on, okay. go on. I think my feelings around it are wrapped up entirely on the coverage of it and not about them at all. A I, media critique. Yeah, I, I'm very happy with the buildup to this rumor of Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Uh, it was fine. And it, you know what? I bet he seems really happy. Like his brother seems happy when he talks about it. I'm all in on that. That's great. And like you said, she's been with kind of a host of guys who like Matt Healy. Yeah. I'm naming names. Yeah, John Mayer, the Jonas Brothers. Who was like, the actor? Like, she was with a guy for Tom many Hiddleston? years. Tom no, Hiddleston. No, 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 no. In between Hiddleston, Hiddleston. He's been bar mitzvah. Hiddleston. Right. <laughs> um, in between Hiddleston and and the Matt Healy from the 1975, there was a guy she was with for a long time. Mm, I don't know his don't name. Know. I think he's an actor. But again, brooding, long yeah, hair. Yeah. I'm just throwing arrows and darts here. No, right. no. Um, so yeah, I think that that's uh, the, the two of them. If they're so happy, that's great. What's your gripe? My gripe specifically was last night watching the Steelers game, and the announcers go, and I bet Taylor Swift would be happy with the play right here because she might have been at the Chiefs game, but Taylor Swift is a self-proclaimed Steelers fan, and it's like she's not here. What, what do we need her being you brought up? You meant Eagles. You mean Eagles? Yeah, yeah, last yeah, night's yeah, Eagles yeah, yeah. Sorry, game. sorry. Yeah, she had like, a song about the Eagles uh, T-shirt. Right. Yeah, and it's like, what are we bringing her up for in this game? I mean, Clout. that just it just seemed Clout. like I know, I know. But then there were so many like forced puns. Yes, like bringing her song titles into I the red Jason zone. Jason Garrett tried one, which was like, oh my god. <laughs> 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 so that's what I don't. Jason need. Garrett comedy hour. If I you don't. Can, I don't need up. that. Yeah. If they, you know, I'm, I love that she's there. I think it's awesome. We love when celebrities are at games and like the Rob Lowe NFL hat. Bradley Cooper's <laughs> there in the stands. Like, I think it's great that she was there. It was so fun to see like her sitting next to Kelsey's mom. Loved all of that. I just don't want like suddenly, like how many Taylor Swift lyrics can we work into the broadcast? And then it's just going to be that. I don't know. That's That's my one take. It's nothing against her. It's simply about like how she suddenly consumed the coverage. Also like, Usher was announced as the uh, halftime act. Uh, and it was done. Like, no one Sorry. cares. I'm employed Moving by the on. NFL. I might yeah. lose my job right. for saying that, yeah. but like that lasted, <laughs> you know, I think. Uh, he got like four hours of news you know, and it the, was over. The Kardashians like put yeah. out, you know, you know, she's dating Odell. No one yeah. cares. Yes. Like they, no, yeah. all other news took a backseat. Right. Uh, what's her name? Um, what's her name? Uh, who's saying Carrie Underwood was in the truck yes. for NBC. No one cared. Yes. It's like, it's, it's, yep. it's, what's it's Taylor Swift? Yep. It's done. All right. So there's. Multiple sides to the negative on it. Now, there's that side. There's a lot of critique of why did Rich Russo and the Fox cameras go to her so many times? There's a lot. I think Chris Russo was very vocal saying she could have been nude in the box. I don't need to see her that many times. I won't go as far as that. I would say it's 41 nothing. You've got a pop culture moment. They're showing her as much as possible. Second critique 
which I got to say, guilty pleasure. I love this Kelly Keegs on Barstool. Do you ever follow her? No. She's a Taylor Swift obsessive, but like she, she's got takes and her take is that Travis Kelsey's corny and like you build up Taylor Swift so much. And like, here's this corny guy that like all his content, she rolls. If you want to go with that take, that's an opinion. I, I'm f- for that. It's the, it's the, st- the stuff that I hate is just like, but she would, she would never, like, I don't like it. She would never fall in love with him. Like, why not? Kelsey's a great dude. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he has so much energy. He's fun. He seemed, I mean, you've hung out with him. I've never hung out with him. I feel like he would be like just nonstop joy. I will he, tell you. He just seems like a great guy. Yeah. I have interviewed him. I'm not exaggerating. Probably a dozen times. He's in my phone. I text with him. I'm that famous. Okay. I didn't really get the Kelsey experience until this past summer, Paul Rudd and, and Riggle and, and Sudeikis and Stone Street and Heidi Gardner do this thing called the Big Slick Charity Classic. And they invite all different people from all walks of life to come play in a, a charity softball game. Then we visit a children's hospital the next morning, which is incredible. And then there's like a big event at night where people perform. And, they, and Kelsey and Mahomes were a part of it this year. Last year, they were not when I my first time. But I got to go this year. And I was with Kelsey for much of the night. He's wearing a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and... This guy is a sweetheart and he's talking to everyone and he's talking to the parents of children with cancer and he's talking to uh, Darius Rucker and he's talking to the people who work at the stadium and people who work at the hospital. Kelsey is an awesome dude. He's got just tons of joy and positivity. And oh, by the way, if not the greatest, the second best player at the tight end position in the history of the sport. It's not like he's some nobody who's like trying to get caught. He doesn't need this for celebrity status. He hosted Saturday Night Live last right, year. Right, right. And he did well, too. I mean, like, you know, his, his SNL skit, he had the one with Please Don't Destroy where he yes. like throws them around and beats them up. Yeah, he was good. I, I You know, as much as he's you know, caused problems for the Bills throughout his career, um, especially the last few years. I like him. He's great. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm all on board with the two of them having a great time. And if it's a long relationship, amazing. And if it's not, that's okay, too. Although I do hope that he can survive the fallout because I do know a lot of times okay. her ex-boyfriends tend to get uh, punished online by her following. But you he's know. not. He, OK, a we're not 100 percent confirmed that they're an item. Correct. She went to a football Correct. game. They weren't holding hands. The The TMZ story is that they rented out a place called, I think, Bar Social or Kansas City Social. They rented out the roof yeah. and a couple of the guys. But Mahomes is talking with Aaron Andrews and Aaron's like, what? What'd you think of Swift? He's like, he's like, I haven't, I haven't met her. <laughs> haven't met her. So like, it's not like they've been like hanging around right. and you know, Kelsey and Mahomes are tight and like, it's not like they, and so the, the word is that Kelsey gave the chiefs a heads up that she might be coming on Friday, told the players and Mahomes said it in that interview. He's like, I don't, you know, okay. Or like, maybe said post game, like, I didn't think anything of it. Like Travis says things like, I have no idea. And then Sunday morning, like Chiefs building security in the Chiefs organization was given the heads up that, yes, Taylor Swift will be sitting in a suite with Donna Kelsey. The whole thing is fun. And in a season where we lost Nick Chubb, we lost Aaron Rodgers, I'm watching teams lose 70 to 20 and 41 to nothing. Hell, I'll take some fun. Um, That 70 to 20 is a good 
good little intro for our, our guest. Uh, I think you're really going to dig this. If you're not familiar with him, you're going to hear his story. And I don't know. We're going with a different route here for this guest. This is Richmond Flowers III, one of the top coaching agents in the NFL, but also a guy with quite a story to tell himself. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, hey stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have know to do that saying? with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or, like, put a sign in your yard, but... All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Here on the season with Peter Schrager, we like to have the most interesting guests, the most connected guests, and give you the story behind the story. And for this week, after putting up 70 points in a ball game, my immediate thought was like, let's get Mike McDaniel on the show. Then I was like, all right, I know Mike. We'll get him on in the offseason when he can be truly candid. Who is the closest person to Mike McDaniel that I can bring on? Who is someone who knows his story from the very start? And who is someone who has as connected in this league as anybody when it comes to coaches? And that person, he's the founder of Collective Sports Advisors and the QB Collective. He's one of the premier identifiers of of coaching talent, but also quarterback talent. And I just think he's a fascinating story. Guys, you might not know his name off it. You will love this guest. And he is with me now, Richmond Flowers Third. Richmond, how are you, man? I'm good, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So I'm watching McDaniel pour it on and then take call off the dogs. And then the backups come in and they're pouring it on. And he tries to call off the eventually they just had to take a knee to end this thing. And I'm like, what a story for Mike. Mike was an assistant for Shanahan all these years, waiting his turn, waiting his turn. Blocked interview here, blocked interview there. Finally gets an opportunity to interview for the Dolphins head coaching job. Gets it. There are skeptics. They go to the playoffs last year. And now it's like he's the toast of the town. 
When did you first meet Mike McDaniel? And then we're going to tell the story of your connection with him to where you both are right now. So I had um, been calling Mike Shanahan uh, and Kyle for about two to three years at this point. It was 2010. I had just had my first uh, child. My wife was still in the hospital. And, um, you know, after, again, two years of calling Mike Shanahan, trying to be ready if I could get an opportunity. So anyways, fast forward 2010, Mike Shanahan calls me up. We're in the middle of uh, running around Cedar sinai and, uh, and Mike Shanahan says, uh, Richmond, meet me at the Combine in Mobile. And so I, I jumped on a plane, um, kind of felt uh, kind of bad for my wife at the time, knowing that she was probably going to find out what it's like to be a coach's wife very quickly. And so I go down to Mobile. You know, my interview was pretty uh, seamless. It was Richmond, you're hired. And Mike was there the whole time. Mike was there. Uh, you know, he was in the Alliance at the time. You know, I think the Sacramento team. And uh, he was there around Kyle, had been with him at the Texans, obviously. And he was running around. He had his uh, sort of a presentation and PowerPoint that he had done um, where he had charted the run game efficiency and the correlation between the play action passing game and the run game and, and the efficiencies of the system. And you could tell he was super smart. And um, he, uh, he was down there the whole week and we were hanging out for a little bit. This is Mobile, Alabama, Senior Bowl. You're interviewing for a job. And for the listeners, you had a, a prominent college career. We remember you on Hard Knocks. You tried out for the Cowboys. You didn't have a long NFL career, but you were like, I still want to get into the league. So you end up being a coach. And when you interview for the job, there's, what, 25-year-old Mike McDaniel with his glasses interviewing you? How's that go down? Mike was the, you know, he was Kyle's ace at the Texans. Uh, widely documented, he had some issues. So did Gary Kubiak send him on a on a hiatus? And then Mike was still at the the uh, Sacramento team at the time. When I did walk in there, again, I'd like to you know tell you that I had some extensive interview. But again, I was really um, Kyle's buddy from college that played in the NFL and that would go home with him back to the Broncos and Mike Shanahan's house uh, in college and train with the Broncos. So I'd been around them. We were super close and the trust factor was there. So I think the fact that I played in the NFL meant that like he could get away with hiring. Yeah. In my case, I'm probably the one guy who was like, he did hire his friend. Uh, <laughs> like, this is 100% true. I played with Kyle at Duke and I became the coach yeah. with Kyle. Yeah. I, I was, I was the guy, I am the guilty party there when <laughs> it comes to like Kyle hired his friend. Um, but you know, he knew I'd get out there and and, and kind of fight and figure it out. So so you're coaching with Washington. Who's in that room in 2011? In that room is uh, Sean McVay was the other quality control coach with me. Uh, Matt LaFleur had his first uh, quarterback's coaching job. Um, you had, obviously, Kyle. Uh, you had uh, Chris Furster. You uh, had John Embry, uh, Bobby Turner, yep. great running backs coach. Legendary running backs coach, That's yeah. Right. Um, and uh, you had Chris Morgan, who's currently the offensive line coach uh, of the Chicago Bears. He had come from working with Tom Cable and became Chris Furster's assistant, and Keenan McArdle. Right. Keenan McArdle, actually, you know, you track back to all the different times before even I was a coaching agent, but um, Keenan and I were at the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars together, and, uh, you know, he was a savvy vet, and so I kind of walked up to Keenan at the senior bowl that during that exact same time and said, Hey Kyle, you need to meet Keenan. He's a hell of a wide receiver, knows the position. Good dude. Talk to him. Kyle hires him. <laughs> <laughs> so it was Keenan, 
John Embry, Bobby Turner, Chris Verster, um, Sean McVeigh, Matt LaFleur, Kyle, myself. And I like to say, like, I walked into the building and, you know, it doesn't take very long to realize that because you played in the NFL that you're a little bit behind and that you've got a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, Sean, um, I really couldn't probably turn on the copying machine and Sean could take it apart and put it together. (laughs) (laughs) So the McDaniel thing, you guys start coaching together. When do you make the change to say, I don't want to be an NFL coach. I want to actually be an NFL agent and represent these guys. You know, the truth is um, my dad's roommate in college was uh, Jim Bates. So I'd grown up around Jeremy. We went to the Johnny Majors football camp growing up. And, you know, I actually almost transferred to Sevier County High to be his wide receiver. Tells you (laughs) the kind of family I come from where you're like a guy who moves up, lives in Sevier County alone to catch footballs. So I was super close, had tracked his career tracked Kyle's career. I think at the time I was slinging apartment buildings at LA uh, for Howie Roseman's brother-in-law, actually. <laughs> what is the story? Mindy, Mindy's brother is who you were working for? They have three, all these brothers and one of them went to Duke with me. So I got connected to Matthew Friedman and I was slinging apartment buildings, <laughs> sitting in, in a cubicle um, after selling luxury real estate for Roger Staubach when the market tanked. And yeah. so... I'm sitting there going, I'm pretty sure I need to get back to what I know and love in football. And I hate this desk. And I just want the sun to hit me in the face. I got to get the hell out of here. Even though the one profession that I always kind of um, knew that I wanted to stay away from was coaching, to be honest with you. As a player, that's all I ever wanted to do is play. Uh, I really never saw myself as coaching. Um, But I think sometimes it takes uh, losing football, leaving what you love and losing kind of a focus of being around the thing that you really love and know to, to really want it back. So really, my strategy was to go check it out, get thrown in the middle of it all. It was obvious that you were going to kind of be in the path of progress. And so the opportunity to get down there and be around Mike Shanahan and Kyle and all those guys, it was more of a, I believe I could be a really good agent. Um, and I know that I'll be a better agent if I'm thrown into the middle of whatever Mike Shanahan's going to do next. And so I kind of had a hunch walking in. I figured out my path, but ultimately you recognize what you're really good at uh, and what you can be really good at. And then, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and assess if you have a ceiling or not good things would happen if you throw yourself into the middle of something led by Mike Shanahan. I had so much respect for him um, and had known him for a really long time. And Kyle was really my best friend at the time. Who was your first client when you leave coaching and you say, I'm going to be a coaching agent? I know that there's, you know, titans of the industry, whether it's Jimmy Sexton or Bob Lamont, these guys have a stronghold on all these head coaches and there's legends told about them. Here's this young gun coming from being an active coach to now I'm going to be an agent. Who was the first client that said, I'll jump on that, that wing with you? I mean, the, the first client was Mike McDaniel because we really sort of sat in the room together for two years and we would just talk about all this stuff. I mean, you know, we would talk about the, the vision for our careers. We would talk about the build out of collective and what it means and, and the importance of it. We would talk about where we're going to go. I, I had, um, I'll be the first one to tell you, because I think Mike's story is all about people uh, needing to see it before they can believe it, you know, and, and, and I'll never forget one of the first times I met Mike. It doesn't take it very long to show you his resume. And at the top of his resume, it's going to say, I'm going to be a Super Bowl winning head coach. And, you know, I, I, and so I remember, wait a second on the resume, it has that statement. It it doesn't say Yale undergrad and coach of Texans. It says 
I'm going to be a Super Bowl winning head coach. I mean, I, that, that sounds awfully arrogant to me. It's absolutely arrogant. Didn't you see the play callers? <laughs> <laughs> That's Mike. You know, I mean, it, it's that belief in self that, that separates him. I mean, but that is honest to God truth. Went to Yale, uh, you know, basically that, I mean, that's what it says at the top of his resume. And I remember at the time thinking, all right, you know, just like I said, Mike came in the second year. And the funny part of that is Mike has probably me to thank, uh, for coming in the second year because, um, I was, if you were to write down what I was probably really not very good at, it would have been the job description of the quality control that I would have. <laughs> and so, like, Kyle's tough, and, and I've experienced it firsthand. Well, he's a lot tougher when you're his buddy and you get hired. So my job was to um, look at one picture and find it, the little small detail that was uh, the mistake and then fix it, and, and I'd bring it to Kyle, and then he'd <laughs> me and sit yeah. me back down the hallway. And, and so, like, he me enough that it opened the door for Mike. And I think by the end of year one, we should probably bring Mike in here. Now, we're not going to let him take Richmond's job. And no. so that's when he created himself into a run guru because yeah. he went with Chris Furster at the O-line. So you got Mike as a client. What year is that? Because it doesn't happen overnight for Mike McDaniel. He's an no. assistant for Kyle for a long-ass time before he finally gets an interview to be a head coach. Yeah. So – First, my two first clients were truly, it was Mike McDaniel and then Vic Fangio. Um, and that's a, another story. But 2011, Mike comes in there. And um, for me, it, it's all about perspective and your experiences. And when you have, uh, you gain a perspective by being in this one-of-a-kind environment and having experiences next to each other, it changes you. And so, like, for me, I had the perspective of getting to see Keenan McArdle come in there. And then next year, Kyle brought in Ike. And I think that that just like anything, when you get your opportunity to be a coordinator, Kyle's kind of finding his way and figuring out the dynamics of a staff and what works and what doesn't and the importance of it. Man, when Mike came in, you see this unassuming guy that you know doesn't immediately strike you as this is the next Vince Lombardi. But as a former player, I had so much appreciation for the way that somebody could kind of distill in their mind how to teach a position, the progression, um, recall from plays that, that, that really aren't as hard to find because when you love something so much, you know how to just piece it together. But Mike was so organized and he had been collecting edits and li- building a library to teach from. So I rem- remember when I saw him on his Exos uh, computer one day and I walked over there and he basically showed me how he breaks down the wide receiver position. And... I'll never forget, I I really learned more in that discussion than I had learned in the previous two years, but as a career trying to be a professional wide receiver because of the way that he broke down the opponent. He broke down the different techniques of the starting at the line with press coverage, whether it's soft shoe man or it's cloud, how to attack it, the different techniques, the minute detail um, when you're running a route, whether, you know, how you're standing at the line, whether you're, you know, opening up to break it down and then, you know, all false acceleration and, and, and the, the details of how you come out of your breaks and catch the football, all of it was right there. And the way that he organized it gave me this picture and it was like, holy okay. I now, you know, I just learned so much. Yeah. It was that experience combined with Kyle walked into my office one day when I was the pictures and basically said, Hey, Richmond, uh, you got a chance to be my receivers coach one day, but you got to get these pictures yeah, right. Yeah. 
And then, and he wasn't probably thinking at the time that Mike was going to become the wide receivers coach. But when you're in the meeting room and you're watching the players and the way they respond to him and you have a, a comparison and then he walks in, this unassuming guy who's super authentic, who's put all this work in and has been staying up all night long and can stay up all night long and, and you know, stay focused on the task. Man, every word that he said, those guys listened to. They hung on everything. Um, he put them in a position to succeed. He, he would give them tips. It was Pierre Garçon and Leonard Hankerson and, and Santana Moss. And those guys were so attentive. And you realized, I don't care what anybody says, this guy is going to be a good receivers coach. He's going to be a great coach because what is more important than um, the players just listening to your every word, believing and knowing that investment um, that you're making every time you walk into that meeting room, I mean, and that, that's second to none. I met Mike when he was with Cleveland for that year, and then he was with Atlanta, and it was always this, I was always tight with a lot of those guys, but he had the flat-brimmed hat always before it was cool. He'd wear the giant hat, he'd have the sunglasses on, and before the game, he was, you know, 20-something-year-old guy, and let's call it like it is, unassuming, gangly guy with glasses coaching elite NFL wide receivers, and yet they would respond to him in such a way where it was like, oh, this guy's got swag, he's got something to him. Did you know that right away when he walks in the room that, oh, immediately, like, he passes the eye test of this deal, this dude's the real deal? I became friendly with Andrew Hawkins, and yep. it's widely documented he, how much he respects and loves Mike. And, um, I mean, you know, yes, absolutely. I mean, at, at the time, the truth is, Mike was the only um, run game coordinator wide receiver that had probably ever existed in the NFL yeah. uh, for the Cleveland Browns, which makes sense because – you know, Kyle was hired late. And so there were some other coaches on the staff. And, you know, it gives you a little insight into the importance of staff continuity. And, you know, it's also widely documented how, what a great job Kyle's done keeping his staff together. And, Always. And how he's fiercely fighting for his people. Um, because, you know, that investment that you're making in the coaches on your staff, man, this system's teaching you to look at the world differently, not just the game. Uh, you know, because you're building based on what you don't know. And I feel like, it, um, you know, one of the things that, that became uh, real apparent, and I was so fortunate to be around so many people with a lot of great experiences in the league, but, you know, a bunch of young guys that felt like innovation was the norm and everything everywhere else is like this, which... It's not the case. Really, not, it would not absolutely not the case. Now, I don't think those guys ever stopped to realize that other places aren't like this, so it's a benefit to them. But for me, not sure if I wanted to coach, I was kind of looking for the next thing in my path. And so when Chris Burster would always say, um, Richmond, I've been in the league for a long time. I've worked for Denny Green. I've worked for Den uh, Tony Dungy. And these are all amazing coaches. But, but this is different. This is such a football-focused environment. It's all about the right things. You're getting empowered here. You're not just being told what to do. You're serving with a real purpose. And, and the experiences and, and how everybody was prepared to have success. You, you knew. And so when Chris would say that to me, I started thinking, wait a second. So we're learning something super rare that, you know, 98% of the other organizations and staffs probably aren't doing things exactly like we're doing them. And that just kind of meant that I was building equity in something. By the time I left, I mean, you, you know, when you're a part of a one of a kind environment, I mean, you just know it, you feel it. And that was exciting to me because I didn't know exactly where things would go, but I knew whatever was happening was special and you, and you just had a gut. So did everybody else. But ultimately, you know, 
when Kyle brought Mike to Cleveland, that's so important to have someone who's lived it, who's been there, who can teach the other coaches and, and set the standards. And, you know, and, and so that was a, a really big deal. And I think Kyle would have brought some other people along with him, um, but he was, you know, hired a little late. So Kyle then goes to Atlanta, brings Mike with him, and then Kyle gets the head job in San Francisco, brings Mike with him. And then for years, Mike is on staff. And then finally, finally, a head coaching opportunity. It's him or Kellen Moore. I'm not solving any secrets. People know that. What was the interview process for Mike McDaniel at post Brian Flores going into Miami? And how did you prep him for that, in that meeting with Stephen Ross, who could be a pretty intimidating guy? You know, Mike had had actually had an opportunity to basically have a kind of a virtual interview and they had a little exposure to him. I'll never forget. I got a phone call from Brandon Shore Mm -hmm. and uh, Mike's journey is special to me because it did take him five years. And uh, I don't know if that's exactly how long it took, but the bottom line is it took him longer than it should have. And I think the timing worked out and and everything, you know, in life is about timing. And you look at, kind of the situation of the Miami Dolphins and, and the way they were transitioning, Mike became the perfect fit, kind of what they were looking for at the time. And so, like, there's probably not a, a team in, in the NFL that, that I hadn't spoken to over the past five years or person to talk to him about Mike. And this was it. This was the opportunity. This was the one team that was going to believe in him. And they were like, hey, Richmond, we're taking a serious shot here. Mm-hmm. We mean business. We're interested. And... The culmination of, of everything that's happened for Mike's been amazing. I mean, you look back at Atlanta, and I remember even, you know, you, you, you kind of look at Mike and, and, and how you go from being this quality control coach or this unassuming guy. You know, I, I used to say, look, I mean, Mike's trajectory is pointing up. The guy was in the broom closet at the Falcons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you look at, I got a phone call one day from Tom Pelissero, and we were talking and, and you know, Mike's alcohol issues are are also widely documented, and I think that um, this is a, a league that can be difficult. If you if you make certain decisions and you have some road bumps, not everyone makes it back. I think it's a testament to to Mike and his focus and and his drive. Um, but ultimately, you know that was lingering over Mike, uh, rightfully so. And I think that there was this moment where he needed to get that behind him, and and he was in this amazing place. And I was talking to Tom and I kind of just said, you know what, Tom, you need to talk to Mike. Mm-hmm. You need to, um, to spend some time with him. You know, he's going through some, he's been through some interesting uh, moments and, and times and, and he's growing. And, and I kind of left it at that and put those guys in touch so they could talk. And Mike uh, opened up and, uh, and you look back at the Super Bowl uh, when the Falcons played uh, the Patriots. Really? Sure. Um, you know, Tom was at USA Today at the time, and, uh, and, and that's when he put that article out there where Mike talked about his problems. And I think he became, you know, a real guy then uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, human and, and a little bit more eyes were on him. And then, you know, the reality is the talent is undeniable and the amount of work and the relentless uh, nature is there. And I think, you know, the one element of, of when you think about Mike, you think about what do the players say? And those players, they're not being asked to say anything. They want to say something because they feel a special closeness and, and appreciation for those who can help impact their career between Kyle and Chris Burster and Mike and, and all these guys that just invest in the development of those players. Those guys are singing his praises and you ask them and it sounds different. 
And I think it's, it was really easy once a team actually decided, you know what? We're really going to take a real look here. We're not worried about what some people say, or we're not worried about that, oh, you know, Mike can't hold a room, can he? Uh, you know, all these things that you're seeing that Mike's special qualities and what people are, you know, all the rage about, you know, those were the elements that were people were afraid to pull the yeah, trigger. Yeah, of course. Like, that, you know, his eccentricity, if you will, like sprinting from the, the Steadicam guy on the Sunday night after the Melissa Stark interview or with me last year in Buffalo and we're having this like ridiculous interview mid-game and people are like, he's goofy. I'm like, he's authentic. He is who he is. He's not trying to impress anybody with like some like cliche or some like Mike is funny as hell, but he's also smart and he also is authentic. I think the players respect that. Oh, there's no doubt. And, you know, he was a part of that that situation. I mean, you, you, you look at Tua and you look at what he's doing with Tua and then you ask yourself and as long as you're honest with yourself and you say who wanted that job at the time and who was ready to take on Tua? Well, I mean, it's widely documented that many people were not ready to take on Tua. There were people who wanted to bring in Tom Brady. There were people who wanted to figure out other quarterbacks. Mike not only embraced Tua, but made it the centerpiece of, of, of his candidacy with the Miami Dolphins and spent hours upon hours upon seeing something that probably very few could see, found it, knowing not only the importance that he needs to sell this team, but the importance of needing to sell Tua, that he has someone who fully believes in him. And, and, and Mike just knows the power of that. Why? Well, he's walked the shoes of somebody that no one's ever believed in, uh, that, you know, that grew up with this vision for where he wanted to go. And, um, so much of, of, of Mike's career is, is been preparing for it since he was, you know, this kind of lonely kid, uh, raised by a single mom and, um, you know, and then those experiences, whether it was starting and building with Kyle in Houston and then having it taken away and then going back to Washington, mm-hmm. being a part of this year in 2012, uh, where all these young driven coaches, you know, at the beginning of their careers were given the task of building a system around a quarterback that they didn't know how to use. And, and I think that Mike uh, articulated it so amazingly when we were preparing for his interview that that experience shaped them all. And it's really um, an extension of what's happening with Tua is that they had been through that. They had experienced it. They had come together in a really collaborative way and shaped um, a system that uh, allowed a player to excel, that other people weren't sure if, if, if he was fit for the NFL. Well, Tua is no different. And Mike walked in and... Um, and probably sat down with the Miami Dolphins and, and, you know, and, and told them that this was a great investment. And then for them to see and understand Mike, he's an innovator. You know, in this league today, um, so many coaches uh, pull up the big play reel and they look at uh, what's working. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, what imitation is the best form of flattery. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, someone's creating and there's other coaches that are creating in sure. this league. But there's no question that Mike probably, you know, was pretty confident in letting those co- the, that organization know that he's going to bring innovation. He's going to bring a culture. He's going to bring a, um, exactly what they were looking for at the time. And uh, it was an amazing uh, kind of. One of those moments when, um, you know, I think in, in my career, you, you set these North Stars yeah. and things that you want to happen. That's how you, you, it's why you love what you do. And I actually didn't start by building a coaching agency, per se, um, because at the time when you get into this industry, uh, one of the things that I noticed is uh, you would ask coaches about 
an agent. And most of them really said the same things. Yeah, I have an agent. Uh, I don't really talk to them that often. Uh, they, oh, no, they didn't help me get this job. And I'm not really sure why I pay them. And so at the time, I thought to myself, well, that's one profession I'm going to stay away from. I don't think it has that much upside for my family. Yeah. And, and then it was, it was thinking about that and then also having this great appreciation for living in the shoes of a coach yeah, the and craft. the demanding environments. Yeah. And, you know, just realizing how much more opportunity that these coaches could provide outside of just their day-to-day jobs. And, you know, Mike was such a big part of helping me build some of the things that we did to build the agency, the, the events outside to network with coaches, knowing that 10 teams would want to run that system in the next five years. Yeah. Um, and so all the video and, and, and interviews and things along the way, um, thinking, man, one day this guy's going to get an opportunity. Um, yeah, let, let's, let's, so you've got Mike as your first client, and obviously he's your yeah. North Star, and it all, but for the listeners, just to name a few, you represent Brandon Staley, you represent Robert Sala, you mentioned uh, Evero, you, you've got yep. a very deep client. So is, is there a recruiting process of, hey, I'm, I'm identifying these talented guys? Because you've been with Sala for a long time, and he yep. was also yep. a quality control guy in Houston. You could argue Sala was also my first client. It was uh, kind of Mike and Sala and Dan Gio. I, I, I left after those three years in Washington and went to the San Francisco 49ers. And that's always when you're able to look back on, you know, you, you go somewhere and you think one of two things. I'm super prepared or mm-hmm. I'm behind the eight ball. And I got there and thought to myself, I'm super prepared. Um, I went from being what was probably the worst guy on the staff to like elite NFL knowledge in my own mind. But also I experienced an offensive staff who really didn't want to hear my perspective, even though we were trying to engineer plays for Colin Kaepernick watching Washington Redskins film. Um, and, and, And it struck me that Chris Furster, this is what he was talking about. And, you know, you, you knew at the time then that like, I need to stay connected to all those guys uh, because something's really special. And I realized kind of two things. One, it was obvious what I was going to do is build a coaching agency, but only build with rules that focused on the, the spawn of the coaches that came out of the Shanahan tree. And then when I went to the 49ers, I realized that that was a little close-minded because yeah. there was a guy on the defensive side of the ball that reminded me of a guy who would have been a perfect fit at the Washington Redskins in Vic Fangio. And, you know, Vic and I became close without really knowing each other. I think there's this like unspoken uh, relationship that says, well, the best defensive mind knows what the best offensive coaches are doing and who they are. That's his job. And so there was a great appreciation. And I think he knew that I came from a place that, um, kind of had a pretty good sense of what good offense was. And so we had a, a great relationship. Um, I think it was probably around that same time that you started seeing, you know, articles being written left and right about uh, from Sean and Matt and Kyle about how defense, uh, you know, Vic yeah. Bangio is Bangio defense. They can't solve it. Best defensive coach that ever lived. And, and ultimately I became really super close with him. And, um, you know, uh, to just be really honest with you, I mean, you're around him and all you're thinking is that this guy's a head coach and you look at Stanford and you look at uh, 49ers and you look at the bears and you look at the Broncos and you look at the experience. And there's this thing that binds a lot of these people together is especially the guys that we represent. It didn't happen for them overnight. And, 
And I think that that gives you a perspective and an appreciation. And um, what I kept hearing from different general managers throughout the league, he's just a defensive coordinator. He's the best, but he's not a head coach. In my mind, well, I mean, if you've got a defensive coordinator who gets you to number one every single time, uh, every single season, essentially within two to three years, I mean, that's a head coach. And so, you know, Vic ended up uh, making a a transition and uh, became one of my first clients. And um, I learned a lot from him and, and, and really, you know, he was the first guy became a head coach. And it was super rewarding because you kind of, you know, just like any other coach, you need someone to believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you just need someone to believe in you. And then it's that two-way uh, street working together uh, with a commitment. Once you just see it, and as long as it, it, it means as much to both of you, you know, it was super cool to watch Vic uh, get that opportunity. But, you know. All right, so you got Vic as your veteran guy. You've got Mike McDaniel as your as your junior guy, yeah. if you will. But one of the things I love that you put together that always comes out online in the offseason, you'll put all these guys together, and they're coaching, what, high school and college kids? And there's these, like, seminars, and I'm watching in action Mike McDaniel coach because you guys are filming it in the QB Collective stuff. If you can't find this online, guys, go look it up. Mike McDaniel coaching or Sean McVay coaching. You'll inter- And I remember Hackett this summer was like, got to go out to Vegas. I'm doing this thing for Richmond, the quarterback collective. Like, the, what is it? And was, what, where was the genesis of that where you get all these coaches together and then you film them actually coaching, which ultimately leads to great content because we don't see that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, that came as a result of my experience as a player and, the, and then combined with the experiences in Washington. Man, after those three years, all you could think of was, God, I wish I had this stuff as a player when I was a kid. I wanted it so badly, I didn't know where to find it, and I didn't know it exists because it didn't. And you knew whatever you learned and the way that you saw the world at that point in life, it was too late for me as a player, but it wasn't too late to figure out how... Um, you know, to realize that this would have changed my life, would have given me an opportunity to have been half as talented and played twice as long by having this access to this knowledge. And so I, like I mentioned, it was a one of a kind experience. I wanted to give that to someone else and that you knew um, that you needed to, if Chris Burster said that no other staff's like this, and then you believed that you were going to build out of the lineage uh, that would grow in the future. You also then at that point know that, huh, Wait a second, Senior Bowl Combine, that's two events. And if you don't go to those, you're out of luck. And if Mm -hmm. you do go to them, if you're lucky enough to grab a beer next to someone, that'll be the catalyst for the rest of your career. That could be the reason you get hired. So it wasn't very hard to get people hired. And you needed an event where you could bring people together that had the context of what we experienced in Washington because you knew that was really powerful. So even if you could get a taste of it, it could impact And so what we did is really just started building, brought in the top quarterbacks in the country, brought back, you know, as a favor, Sean, Kyle, Matt. We had uh, Kevin O'Connell was there the first year, Um, you know, a a great group of people. And then you know that these parents and these coaches, these are the market experts. They've been taking their kid all over the world to go see all these events. They just needed to see this product. And coaches were not impacting in that space private coaches were and, and, and people with social media were essentially exploiting parents and players. And, and so in my mind, this was how you could look at agency differently, insert these coaches at the top of the food chain and allow them to then insert leadership into a space that really had none. That was the hunch. The only way you find out if you're onto something is that you 
get those guys there. Got to execute. Them, let them run the event and then watch. And these parents and these coaches and everybody, was, it was almost like the parents had found the fountain of youth. And, it, and they were so excited and, and they were hanging on every word. We focused on the classroom versus yep. the field because that was something that you really couldn't get and see. And it was just this amazing experience that kind of confirmed that um, to a certain degree, picking up on what Verster said, if this was so rare, then we needed to build the VIP room of coaching. We didn't need to tell people that. We said it's the QB collective, but it's a development pipeline for coaches and quarterbacks to identify, develop, represent, led by the, the brightest minds in, in the NFL. It's cool. It's like the Avengers. You watch these videos, and I hope we have the right. I mean, Aaron, can I, can I toss to, a, uh, to some sound of McDaniel from this? We'll get the approval right there, Richmond. There we go. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we'll play it. But, like, you hear McDaniel. He's talking to high school kids, but he's really talking to the world because this is a rare opportunity. And you guys smartly turn the cameras on, and we get an opportunity to listen how these guys actually coach, not just their press conferences. We show... And then right when you get to the to the uh, mesh point, snap. Google Tom Brady play action. You'll see aggressive snaps. Matt Ryan does awesome. Show snap. Set up. Three S's. Boom. Okay. All right. So we hear McDaniel there. We hear McDaniel there. Like that's what it's like being in the quarterbacks room. Yeah. Oh man. I mean. And then you know getting. All those guys. And, and the truth is, when we first started, I didn't know exactly why. Um, I knew, I, I truly did know, you did know that these guys were all going somewhere. You, you knew that this system would catch fire. You also knew that it would grow so fast that the traditional way of building a coaching staff was out the door because it was going to grow so quickly that people were not going to hire people they had actually worked with before. And so could this event replace having worked with someone on a staff by spending three days with them in the right context? Absolutely. And, and so, you know, to a certain degree, you know, you're, you put this forward knowing that let's capture it all. In my mind, there was like, maybe one day this will turn into kind of the last dance. The, yeah. um, you know, as the, as the whole entire league goes through this like transformation uh, at a bare minimum, we'll be we able footage to footage of something. Yeah. Yeah. From day one. Right. yeah. And then I, then you would go back and you would look at this stuff and you would see Sean, you know, spitting fire to young kids that happened to have Caleb Williams and Bryce Young and DJ Angalele and Tanner McKee and Matt Corral uh, and, and all these guys year one in 2016 um, because that event was focused on development, not trying to capture marketing opportunities as they enter college. It was truly about development. It was a truly authentic environment. And these coaches only knew one way, all in. And yeah. so over time, when you would look at that content, you know, you didn't realize that you were building equity by listening to coaches. Um, but at the same time, you were starting to see like, God, this guy's so good. And when you're watching these guys back to back to back, you know, you just kind of take a mental note and build a library of, um, you know, the, the, the immense talents of, of some of the best teachers. If I'm a parent of a high school kid who I think has a shot, like, is it one of those deals where I can sign him up and he could be a part of the quarterback collective or is it you guys send invitations? It's invitation only. Um, you know, I think long-term, I always viewed the QB collective as the central nervous system of intelligence in the sport of football to grow into the future. And so that would be something and we've toyed with it. I think two years ago we ran 46 camps mm. and they were all sold out and that was sort of available to everyone. But I felt like it was diluting the brand and we needed to focus on this high end invitation only 
a network of, of private coaches that could kind of allow us to bring the best of the best into an environment and then even make it smaller and bring the future and really tutor and, and train and develop and give these guys a perspective that shows you very quickly that the value proposition is unlike anything that they've ever experienced in that space uh, because it truly would change their lives. When you get an opportunity to work with, you know, you're sitting there in high school and it's Ben Johnson and then Ajiro is giving you the perspective of a defensive coach and Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. And, and they're not just there. They're investing. They're coaching. They're coaching. My last question as we wrap this up, I used to get sent to the Senior Bowl for FoxSports.com when I was a writer in, I'd say, early 2000s, and I have told this story on the podcast before. I knew I was never going to be John Fox's guy. I knew I was never going to be Rex Ryan's guy. I knew I was never going to be Sean Payton's guy. Those guys were of a different generation. But I saw young coaches. I didn't know who they were. So I would look at the, the, the staff of each team and try to find the youngest coaches. And one of those guys was Sean McVay, who was a 27 year old tight ends coach with Washington. And I emailed him literally like Sean.McVay at redskins.com. And was like, Hey, I'm 30, you're 27. Let's get a beer. I'm going to be in mobile. He's like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. How just stress how important that mobile Alabama senior bowl thing is. If you want to be a coach or if you want to be in media, if you want, that's where you go. You don't go to the super bowl to meet people. You go to the senior bowl. There's no question. I mean, that can be a pretty uh, uh, depressing environment as well. A bunch of coaches walking around with their cell phones and, and resumes, but coach Shanahan and Kyle, the way that they picked that staff and the, that's where I look back and it's kind of like, gosh, don't talk about it enough. For Mike Shanahan to allow, um, you know, a bunch of young guys and 20-somethings come together like that, that they knew what, he knew what he was looking for. And I met Sean down there. And, the, yeah, the Senior Bowl is an amazing place, opportunity to meet a bunch of people. But whenever you mentioned just Sean, I mean, like, the, that's not a guy who figured it out later in life. That's a guy who also knew exactly what he wanted to do, how he wanted to go about it, was preparing for it since he was in probably fourth grade, went yeah. to the – Miami of Ohio, because it's the cradle of cradle coaches. Cradle of coaches, yeah. He helped me so much. Going in there, realizing how little I knew. I mean, he literally started from scratch, did for me probably what John Gruden did for him. He was training me to draw X's and, and O's and the importance of the detail. And, and um, you know, it, again, it doesn't take very long when you're um, around all those people that it just took these amazing individuals and then put them on an accelerator that was looking at football differently and looking at more. Because when you're building, you know, you've heard the adage in, in football and coaching, like, we're not really worried about what they're doing. We got answers for it, you know? And, and that was not this. This was... Open mind. Okay. We we're might not build. have answers. Let's figure we it out. We don't know. We're going we're gonna to figure it out. We're going to build based on what's being presented. And we don't know what's going to happen. And then what happens forces you to think in a way that you didn't. And so really you're seeing more. And I think that really that's sort of a good way of packaging up and saying, you know, how did all these guys from the same staff have so much success so fast? Well, those experiences and then coming together and challenging one another to, to build and create and one up the other guy. I think they were looking at things more deliberately, you know, 10x learning on a day to day basis. And then over time, when you get your opportunity, you do go to that next spot and you go damn, I'm super prepared. Sean was an amazing example of that. And, uh, and it's always been pretty amazing the way that he supported and come on out to our, to our events. And, you know, he'll probably be sitting in your chair one day. So 
he's probably learning from you. Maybe, maybe. I know that uh, that almost happened a little earlier than expected. Uh, Richmond Flowers the third. We didn't even get into your family's history with football. Incredible. Um, you're a good man. You're a busy man. I appreciate you taking the time and specifically giving us a little window into the, the beautiful mind that's Mike McDaniel. Absolutely. In closing, I, this is not a brand uh, like you must ask. I'm asking because I think there's actually a cool story behind it. I see, you know, if you're, not, if you're watching the video here, you're wearing a shirt that says Yerbe, <laughs> plant-based energy. And I'm like, half of me is like, all right, just let it go. Half of me is like, why is Richmond wearing a shirt with a brand? And then you start talking to you about it and there's like, there's a cool story to be told. All right. So this is not a brand product placement, but it no. kind of is explain why you're wearing a shirt called your bay. And then I'll let the listener decide whether this is a roll your eyes or this is okay. That's interesting. Well, interestingly enough, you know, first of all, a lady named Didi Agar, who's uh, the head of sports and entertainment at Goldman Sachs. She's been there for 39 years. We're super close. She's, like immensely respected in the industry. Um, she came out to one of our events and it was the right event. It was Mike McDaniel spitting fire with Chris Furster and Frank Smith next to him and Brandon Staley in the background and Quesi Adolfo Mensa sitting on the fringe with Mike Silver and Jordan Rodrique and, and, uh, and Nikki Jabavala and all these um, creator reporters and some of the young future of, uh, of coaching letting Mike McDaniel hold court. And she saw that and it was uh, super impressive. Fast forward two years, uh, and we'd built a great relationship. She called me up and said, hey, look, you were looking for a sponsor for your event. And she introduced me to the founders of a company called Yerbe. Uh, said it was an energy drink. Didn't think much of it. She put me in touch with them. And it was very clear that they were already engaged on the, the, the value of coaching. And so now that's what collective represents is the, the innovative, brightest minds coming together. I'm the doorman so that we can help pick coaches, <laughs> not have them pick me. And then it's like, have them in there. And then how, what's the best use for that? And in my mind, when we got started, it was emerging technology, brands, using virtual coaching, and they're the new influencers in the NFL. So we looked at this as an incubator, and I was always sort of looking for the right product fit because it, it's got to be right. You looked at the product fit, healthy energy, plant-based energy, um, you know, the, the, the crap that's in those other energy drinks. Yeah. And more importantly, then you, you, you thought to yourself, hold on, this could work. Coaches are always going to be looking. Always awake. And they're always going to feel fine with having an energy drink that's healthy for you and it's plant-based, et cetera. And so for us, what this really was about was let's see if we could partner up with a company like this that said, we don't do sponsorships. And so, wow, that was the real test. Would coaches invest in a product because they really believed in it, because they saw the product fit? And um, coaches will have a certain appreciation for getting that opportunity because they don't do sponsorship deals. No. They don't think they're worth, you know, they're, they're not thinking about anything besides we believe Mixes in the and product. O's and the players. And we like the way it tastes. And the truth is. You went and introduced yourself, uh, you know, I introduced them to Lincoln Riley and Kyle Shanahan and, and, uh, and, and this amazing group of coaches. And they immediately all said the same thing. We like the way it tastes. Um, we believe in it. They hadn't invested in other products, but they invested in this. And the truth is what we're doing as a company is we've got these amazing coaches, but ultimately can coaching move the needle on emerging brands? Can coaching move the needle on a publicly traded company um, through influence at, at the highest level because they truly believe in the product? And we'll find out. 
if so, that's kind of where I it see. It also opens the doors walk. to the next open thing, uh, whether it be a running yeah. shoe or it be a headset yeah. or whatever it is. So I like. Hey. So maybe a product placement, but at the end of the day, we felt like coaches deserve the opportunity. What's to, the word we use with McDaniel? It's authentic. That's it. It's not like you're out here promoting an underwear brand because they're giving you a couple hundred thousand dollars. You're like, no, this is the product that these guys drink. And let's try to do something with it. I respect it. I respect that your mind is always working that way. And I respect that you gave us all this time. Richmond, thank you, bro. Thanks for having me on. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Interesting guest. Different. Aaron, like Richmond's a character. Um, he's smart as hell. And I, his roster's as good as anybody as far as coaches go. But like, I just wanted to get a look inside the, 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 I guess, the origin story of Mike McDaniel. Yeah. I mean, it was really cool hearing Mike's interview process. And, and you know, like you said, he was a guy who hadn't who had like been up for jobs hadn't had the interviews and then went in and he was he said it later in the interview too the right guy for that job at that time and clearly that's working out for him now imagine imagine you're an owner and you draft Tua fifth overall and everyone comes in and says well Tua's not your guy i I got plans for tom brady or we've got to draft someone else or this and then mcdaniel comes in and is like wait i've already driven i've already drawn up the entire offense around Tua, and this is what's going to work you'd like all right i'd like to take the benefit of the doubt and not have to start all over again um that was cool that was different we'll see uh how the dolphins finish out but i figured as a 3-0 team after just putting 70 points up if we can't get mcdaniel let's get his closest friend and the guy who represents him uh in his business affairs real and quick not to call us out but the 3-0 dolphins who i think neither of us picked for yeah, the let's playoffs. stop what are you doing <laughs> we move right along what's the kevin james meme like uh, peter you didn't pick the dolphins to make the playoffs and then the, that's the picture of me with my hands in my pockets <laughs> making that that fetching look that kevin james has uh in closing, I did want to hit on two little things. One, Thursday night football, Lions versus Packers. I will not be watching live. Can I tell you why? Because you'll be, I don't know. Melissa Etheridge, diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan, sent me an invite to go to the premiere of her one-woman Broadway show that is premiering Thursday night. And I said, yes. So I will be in the house. 
I don't even, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called like come to my window or something, but like it's, it's Etheridge. She did an off Broadway one woman show this past um, spring. I think it got rave reviews. It got picked up to be a Broadway show. And I've known Etheridge since she started watching good morning football. We DM, we text, we all this stuff. I get this lovely invite from her. Like, why don't you and your wife come to the premiere I don't know if this is winning any Tonys. I don't know what I'm in for. And this is a story that I come in pretty blindly on. She's had some real tragedy in her life in the last couple of years. Um, she also was a groundbreaking musician in a lot of ways. And I love her. So I will be attending Melissa Etheridge's one-woman Broadway show Thursday night. If you want to talk about a podcast that really hits all cultural angles. And the truth of the matter is, long before Taylor Swift was a pop star repping the Chiefs, I go, I go day one with Etheridge, okay? I love it. So Homer, Christopher Nolan, Melissa Etheridge. There we go. We got our, our trio right there. Add it. Come to my window. And you know what? She's not going to sue us. She's not because... We're friends. Um, and the last thing, you know, the travel story that my friend Jay gave last week, like the responses were through the roof, but I'm, ta I'm tapering it back. I don't want to be a complaining podcast. I don't want to be a podcast that just makes you feel anxiety. I don't want to be a podcast that suddenly we have our niche and it's just a uh, guy who gets paid to fly and travel handsomely about travel the entire time. However... I sent you guys, and Jason English is here from iHeart, I sent you guys a photo that was like the sneakiest photo I've ever sent. Aaron, did you see anything in the photo that I sent, or was it too blurry for you to even see what it was going on when I sent you a photo Saturday morning from uh, my Delta flight? There is, there is no amount of blurriness that photo could have had to hide the two bare feet on the flight. I am seated next to a Cretan. A, a, a caveman of a man. I get seated in a seat and it's one of those where you're sitting next to somebody. Um, it's just the two of us. And I sit down and it's seven in the morning. I'm flying out to LA from New York. All I want to do is close my eyes and go to sleep. Well, I sit down. I start to doze off a little bit. And I notice out of the corner of my eye, a toenail in my vision. This man might have been in his 60s, 70s, and I would say he's like a, like a hippie type. And when I say hippie type, he like kind of had like free-flowing gray hair. He thought he was like a silver fox of some sort. I hope he's listening. I didn't get his name. Um, and he immediately sits down, slips off his, his loafers, and he just is rocking barefoot. So what would one do in the situation? Sit and, and fester and be grossed out the entire... No. I spoke up. I said to him, sir, and he looked at me shocked that someone would even address me. I go, do you mind putting on some socks or some slippers? This is a long flight and I can't be looking at your feet the whole time. And he said to me, excuse me. I said, no, in all, in all honesty, I have my, my things. And one of them is I am grossed out by bare feet. If you don't mind, would you either put a blanket over your feet or put on some slippers? And he put on some slippers. Oh, I, good. I, okay. I fell asleep. I fall asleep. I hear some rustling. I see this gentleman walking in the aisle to a bathroom on a plane, barefooted. Uh. Use the bathroom and then come back, slide into his seat, and right next to me, still barefoot. 
and I just I just closed my eyes and I said I already had my one. Yeah, I yeah. spoke up. I'm not gonna do it again. So he had slippers on and then intentionally took them off. I think he was waiting for me to fall asleep oh, so he can yeah. get those darn slippers off. Get those get those mittens off my toes. Let them be free. And it's. Feet were not well pedicured or manicured, whatever the term is. It, it was disgusting. I mean, hairy toes, the whole thing. Um, just another week of travel, my friend. I mean, frankly, from that story, I'm not too concerned with what was on top of his feet now. I'm worried about what was on the bottom of Walked his feet right after walking bathroom. right into the bathroom. Didn't ah. care. Doesn't know what's been going on in that bathroom. Just barefoot. Also, we've had some stories from flights in the past month of disasters. No, my flight was smooth. I took off on time. I got home on time. Everything was great. The airlines did wonderful. Delta and JetBlue, little combo deal. Delta in the, on the Saturday out, JetBlue on the Sunday home so I could watch the games. All nice. beautiful. Um, you can't control who's flying your planes. Correct. Again, not going to go big on it. Don't want to complain. I'm paid to fly. It's great. I had a lovely flight. The, in, the in-flight meal was delicious. Just a disgusting barefoot man next to me, and that's just luck of the draw sometimes. And just for clarification, this is because Jason's sitting next to you barefoot right now, right? There's my guy. <laughs> Jason, Jason, uh, your feet are always welcome. Uh, guys, different kind of podcast. That's what we want. Um, thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Subscribe. I Write a review. If you hate this, write a review. If you like it, write a review. Uh, I'm pretty proud of the work we're doing over here and uh, want to keep it rolling. So the season with Peter Schrager. Let's get into one of those top 10 playlist things on uh, Apple or Spotify, whatever it is. Let's go up there with the New Heights podcast or all the rest. Uh, We want to be the best football podcast there is. I certainly know we're giving you the most unique content. All right, guys. Thank you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.